Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Alan Klein, a person who comedian Jerry Lewis once called a noble and vital force watching over the human condition. Alan is the world's only known jollytologist and the author of 18 books that have sold over 500,000 copies. Those books include The Healing Power of Humor, The Courage to Laugh, Learning to Laugh When You Feel Like Crying, Inspiration for a Lifetime, Change Your Life, A Little Book of Big Ideas, and the soon-to-be-published The Art of Living Joyfully. Alan is also a certified speaking professional uh, designation from the National Speakers Association and a Toastmasters Communication and Leadership Awards. Alan, I'm delighted to welcome you, and I'm looking forward to a lot of fun. Good. It's great to be here. Alan, you call yourself a jollytologist. I love the term, but what do you do? Well, actually, let me tell you first how I got that name. I studied laughter. I actually have a master's degree in human, H-U-M-A-N, development. And my thesis was The Healing Power of Humor, which turned into my first book. And because um, I, I studied humor, the Greek word for humor is jellos. So I tell people I'm a jellotologist, but then people didn't know what that was. They thought I made dessert. <laughs> <laughs> so I changed it to jollytologist. I see. And well, they say that laughter. I, I think people, are, you know, at least close, you know, that it's close to humor, laughter, and play. And I, besides writing the books on the subjects I, and inspiring and motivational books, I also go around the country giving workshops and lectures on the therapeutic value of humor. And I just got back last week, I was in Memphis. Tennessee, speaking to 150 hospice workers. Mm -hmm. And in two weeks, I go to Boise, Idaho, speaking for their employees. I think there'd be about 250 um, employees of the Tumor Institute. Wow. So I speak a lot for the, uh, in the healthcare field, in the hospice field, because those people are so wonderful, such great caregivers. Uh, but they also stress out a lot. Uh -huh. and, and I also do public programs, like I'll be speaking in, in uh, Michigan next month, both for a hospice there and then also doing an evening public program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, they do say that laughter is the best medicine. And I understand that you're the recipient of a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I never knew there was such an association. And is therapeutic humor a popular discipline? Are there a lot of other people like you? Well, uh, there are people like, see, I do, I do mostly keynotes and workshops. So there are some people like me, but people are using the therapeutic uh, value of humor in all kinds of settings, nurses, hospitals, teachers to get their message across. Mm -hmm. um, so they come to the conference to learn how to do that. Um, clergy, again, you know, to get their message across. Nurses, doctors, uh, social workers, one that has an illness and is looking at maybe techniques of, of how to um, get a different perspective on their uh, illness, which humor always does. And then people in general, um, all, all kinds of people, because humor is so valuable in everyday uh, life. And then we also bring in, in AATH, Association for Applied Therapeutic Humor, they bring in researchers to show that what we're talking about has some validity and that humor is very beneficial on very different uh, and assorted different um, levels. You kind of think that either a person has a sense of humor uh, or they don't. Can it actually be taught? Well, you know, my belief is we're all born with a sense of, of humor, Miriam. Well, what happens when we grow up? We go to school and we're told by the teacher, hey, settle down, get serious, <laughs> wipe that smirk off your face. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I bet you've heard that a lot growing up. Yeah, what happens? We become a very serious adult. And yet that playful child is in with, within us and still wants to come out and play. And studies that sh are showing that people who enjoy their work, that get some laughter in their work, are more apt to do a better job, more apt to listen to their boss, um, don't get so stressed out, burnt out, because they really in, have some pleasure in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so there's so many different levels where humor is valuable, even in the workplace. Um, and, and that's some things that AATH teaches, but it's something that everybody needs to know. And yes, we all have a sense of humor, and sometimes and we have to look for it harder than other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how did you actually get into the therapeutic humor business? Well, it started a um, very difficult time in my life. A little over 30 years ago, my wife went to the doctor just for a physical checkup, and he did some tests, and results came back, and the doctor called back and said, uh, Ellen, uh, I, I think we need to put you in the hospital. He said, we... We discovered some things I don't like. I want to do more tests. And he said, I think you have something called primary biliary cirrhosis. Hmm. It was an illness, a disease of the liver with the bile ducts all clogged up. And the doctor said, I'm, I'm really confused because women over 65 usually get this and you're only 31. And so they did the tests and the results came back primary biliary cirrhosis. And when Ellen asked him about how long, you know, she has to live, he said three years. Wow. And indeed, Ellen did pass away three years later. And there were no liver transplants at the time. There was no hospice at the time. So it was a very difficult time for me. Had a 10-year-old daughter. And uh, it was very difficult. But during that time, there were a couple of things that happened. Uh, I remember Norman Cousins at the time. He had a, a rare a disease that he wasn't supposed to survive. And he used humor to help him cope with it and get through that. You know, I remember reading that in Reader's Digest a million years ago. Right. How he, he actually just got a big stack of funny movies and watched them. Right. Candy Emerald, funny movies, uh, funny books. And he actually had to check out of the hospital because he was laughing too much. <laughs> and he credits um, his surviving his illness, which doctors said there was no chance of surviving, not only with taking the right medicines that the doctors are prescribing, but also uh, with laughter. Mm -hmm. So um, my wife, I, I realized after my wife passed that she had a great sense of humor. I'll give you one example, Miriam. She was in the hospital with a copy of Playgirl magazine. And <laughs> she had a, a picture of the male nude centerfold. And she said, um, Alan, I, I really like this hunky man this month. Can you put it on the wall, but the bed over here. And I said, Ellen, this is a hospital. <laughs> I said, it's a little risque for that. And she said, well, Alan, maybe you're right. She said, why don't you get a leaf in the plant cart? And Miriam, I did that, and things are fine for the first day, fine for the second day, but by the third day, the leaf starts shriveling up and revealing what we're trying to conceal. <laughs> and... You know, I realized looking back, it wasn't a lot of laughter. We'd start to laugh looking at that. We wasn't a lot of laughter. It was only five or ten seconds. But it helped us rise above the situation. It gave us a little reprieve. It gave us a little perspective. It wasn't a lot. But um, I realized looking back, it was something that helped us get through the very difficult time. Right. And so when Ellen went back, uh, when Ellen passed away, I did go back to school and, and got the master's degree and focused the rest of my life on, on teaching people how humor could help us cope about any situation. I, I remember when I read your book, Learning to Laugh When You Feel Like Crying, that actually just came out a few years ago, didn't it? Right. That book... Um, 
My first book was The Healing Power of Humor, which is about human everyday situations and has 14 techniques of how to get some more laughter in your life. And we'll can talk about that a little later. Mm -hmm. uh, the second book, I went a little deeper, and that was The Courage to Laugh about humor, hope, and healing in the face of death and dying. And I went a little deeper and I interviewed about 100 people who had um, either lost a loved one or had cancer or AIDS or dealt with lingering loss or sudden loss. And I asked them, did you find any humor in this situation? And about 98 out of 100 said I did. And I, I documented all of that in The Courage to Laugh. The book that you're talking about that came out last year, Learning to Laugh When You Feel Like Crying, came out because I realized when I, um, I, I realized that when I was grieving, either with my wife or more recently with a very close cousin that was like a sister to me, that when I looked for grief books, they were like two to three hundred pages. Mm -hmm. And they told me about all these terrible things that I'm going to go through and how depressed I was going to be and how long and I might lose my appetite and, you know, on and on. And I thought, you know, there was no grief book out there that I found that was easy to read because I didn't feel like sitting down to read a couple of hundred sure, pages. Sure. So that was easy to read that I can almost open up and, and get some encouragement for the day and that helped me lighten up in some ways about the process. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I sat down and wrote Learning to Laugh. When you, it's about embracing life after loss, and it has five stages of kind of how to go from loss to laughter. I, I did notice that it was very easy to dip into, and each of the chapters was short and, and you know, gave you just that little lift. That was that was interesting. Exactly. And the five stages I came up with, I don't know if you know about Kubler-Ross and her work in Death and Dying. I didn't at the time, no. Yeah, but she had five stages, and I thought, I want five stages. <laughs> <laughs> if she can have five stages, I can have five stages. I can have five. <laughs> why not? And so my five stages are losing, learning, letting go, living, and finally laughing. Mm -hmm. And how did you come up with those stages? It, just from your personal experience or from your research? A lot of it was my personal experience. A lot of it was teaching my workshops to hospice people. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it was people I interviewed. Um, if you want, we can go over those quickly, those five stages. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, well I, I just want to tell our listeners that if you've just joined us, uh, you're listening to New Consciousness Review, and we are chatting with Alan Klein, the author of Learning to Love When You Feel Like Crying, amongst a number of other books. So, Alan, what are these five stages? Well, the first one is losing, because one of the things I realize as a culture, we kind of deny that someday we're going to die. So to acknowledge that there's loss in our life. Because we can't really move on until we've acknowledged that. And so, um, you know, I, I realize, I mean, if, if your listeners would just think about what would happen if we never died. The planet would Wait, get very cluttered up with old people. Say that again, please. The planet would get very cluttered up with old people. Exactly. We wouldn't have enough place to live. We wouldn't have enough food. Um, it's kind of nature's way of keeping things in balance. So at some point, I think we need to realize that we're going to get on with our life and actually find some laughter. We need to start at the beginning and realize that, yes, there is loss. Mm -hmm. And the Bible tells us that, that, you know, to everything there's a season and time for every purpose a time to be born, and a time to die. Sure. So first is just realizing that we have loss. And the second is learning that we can, a couple of things, that we can rise above it, that we can get on with our life, that we lose a loved one, um, that, that this could be the greatest gift uh, we have. Dying could be a really great gift 
loss of a loved one. And people go, Alan, how could the loss of a loved one be a great gift? But it, we, for me, at least, it showed me how precious life is. Mm. You know, because we go along and we forget. <laughs> we forget the joy in life. It's there every day, no matter what happens. No matter if we're getting a traffic ticket or we don't get the raise. You know, that life is precious and we need... Um, to enjoy every single moment. It's interesting. You hear from people who have had a diagnosis of a terminal illness, and very often they just have a totally different uh, attitude to life. They want to enjoy and, 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 and pull the, the juice out of every moment. Right. Uh, people that I interviewed with cancer say, you know, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Not that they wanted cancer, but a whole new outlook on life. I have a close friend who, who found out he had AIDS. And um, thank goodness he's still alive, doing his meds and all. He's very positive now. But he, he used to have, like, very low consciousness. Mm-hmm. And he, like... One example, we'd walk down the street and he'd go buy a ponte of ice cream and eat it within one block, and then the next block buy another pint and eat another pint of ice cream. You know, that kind of consciousness just about food and other things too. Well, when he found out he had AIDS, his whole life changed. And he too says it's the best thing that could have happened to him because he is now um, very spiritual, um, very food conscious, very conscious about enjoying his day and every moment. And that, I never saw that in his life before. You know, it's interesting. A number of authors that I've recently interviewed who write about uh, cancer and dying, uh, I'm thinking specifically of Anita Morjani and Dr. Tiansheng Su, um, say that getting cancer or, or a disease like this, particularly specifically cancer, is your body's way of telling you that you need to change something in your life. So it's not necessarily a death sentence. It's, it's an adaptation process on the part of your body to, um, to get your attention, to say you could get more out of your life. They, they associate with, with things like uh, a blocking of your creative abilities, your creative fire, or a sense of hopelessness about your life. Right, right. Yeah, it's so, you know, it's like a wake-up call. Whenever yeah. we get an a, a illness, you know, and particularly a major illness, it's a wake-up call to, to realize that life is precious. What am I doing with my life? You know, and we all need to realize that because we all, we don't know. I mean, I live in San Francisco. We could be talking, I hope not, but, uh, I mean, we are talking, but I hope there's no earthquake that comes in the next minute. (laughs) But it's possible that I could be not here in the next minute, and Miriam, you'd have to finish the show yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But we don't know that. So the only thing we know is we have some time here, and we need to appreciate it. I love what Robin Williams, you know, he had a heart attack last year. Uh-huh. I love what he said. He said, when you have something like a heart surgery, you appreciate the simple things like breathing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, and, yeah. It was yeah. interesting because Robin Williams played Patch Adams. Uh, right, yeah. right. Uh, it, is, it is interesting that he did that. I, I hadn't put that two things together. And the other thing for me is that the person we've lost, and I truly found this with my wife, I mean, I really feel she is here right now, is that we never really lose that person. Mm. You know, the body goes away, but the spirit, the the memories of them, uh, what they taught us is truly always there. And we could always tap into that. And and a lot of people I interviewed said what they remember, what they want to remember about the person they lost was the good times and the laughter they had together. Mm. Yes. So the, the third notion is, is first was losing, uh, learning, and then letting go. Because we can't move on, uh, you know, uh, until we start letting go. And 
there's a wonderful Zen story about letting go. You, I, if you did, it, it's worth hearing again. About two monks who were walking down the, the road, and one of them sees a woman standing by the river, and he picks the woman up and carries her across the river. She wanted to cross the river. And the other monk, about a mile down the road, said, you know, we're not supposed to look at a woman. We're not supposed to even, um, you know, be near a woman. How can you possibly pick that woman up and carry her in your arms and put her across the river? And the monk that did that turned to the other and said, you know, I let her go a mile. I put her down a mile ago. Are you still carrying her around with you? Right. <laughs> Such a wonderful lesson. You know, how often do we carry stuff around? And yes, losing a loved one is difficult, but it's sometimes we need to let go of that and get on with our own life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, we need to take a short break, and then we'll be right back with our author, Alan Klein. Reviewers are the cornerstone of New Consciousness Review, and we are always looking for enthusiastic readers to join our team. You get first peek at leading-edge books and build your library in the process. Reviews don't have to be long, just your honest opinion, and you'll be providing an important service to the community. So if you're interested, email us at reviews at ncreview.com. You are listening to New Consciousness Review. You can learn more about Miriam Knight's guests by visiting the NCR online showcase of Conscious Media, where you'll find thousands of spiritual and progressive titles of authors and filmmakers. And now let's get back to Miriam and her guest. And we're back with jollytologist extraordinaire Alan Klein talking about therapeutic humor and also his book, Learning to Laugh When You Feel Like Crying. Alan, so what are the um, the last two uh, stages? Okay, so we've done losing. Um, what was it? <laughs> letting go. We just finished letting go. Um, yeah, well, that was the third. Losing, learning, letting go, and um, then living. That uh, I, when I worked with hospice, I was a hospice volunteer, and sometimes I'd work with patients who could not get over their grief. And when I noticed that then there was two lives lost, the person who died and the person that was still living. So I think the way we can get on with living is to be thankful for what we have instead of uh, mourning what we don't have and to focus on our abundance. And then the last, of course, is laughter. And, you know, George Bernard Schorst does not cease to be funny when people die any more than it ceases to be serious when people laugh. And, and I just know that from my own life. I'll give you one example. My dad passed away a couple of years ago, and my mom lives in Florida. I live in California. My brother lives in, in Connecticut, so both my brother and I flew to Florida and when I got there, my mom was on the phone with the rabbi. And in the Jewish re- religion, when someone close to you die, you some, do something called sitting shiva, where you sit and friends come and pay their um, respects. And my mom was on the phone with the rabbi, and she said, my brother was going to go back to Connecticut to sit shiva, but I, I was going to stay with her and shit shiva. Dear. <laughs> 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 And we got so hysterical. She said, Rabbi, I'll call you back. And we laughed so hard. Oh. There's always laughter in any situation, even in death and dying situations. Right. And, and you know what amazes me? There was a study that came out last year in a book called The Other Side of Sadness. And it was a two-year study of people who were grieving. And uh, what they found is any of those... Uh, people that found something to laugh to laugh about after their uh, loss of their spouse 
they did much better in the grief process over the two years than those that could not find anything to laugh about. Well, you, you, you think of finding humor in a situation as being something spontaneous. Is, is there some way that um, people can actively seek out humor to, to cope with these death and dying situations? Well, there is. And in my Healing Power of Humor, there's 14 techniques to do that. But We're not going to go through 14 techniques, one but of give us a few. Oh, yeah. I will in a moment. But I just want to say that in death and dying situations, mm-hmm. people feel guilty when they're laughing. And uh-huh. laughter and tears are so close and so therapeutic that, um, you know, we need to, to acknowledge the humor in the dying situation. So often people like squelch laughter at a funeral and let it come out. You know, sometimes I'll look in a coffin and they'll go, oh, he never looked so good. <laughs> you know, that's kind of humorous in a way. So in the healing power of humor, I do have 14 techniques. One of them is, is really simple, is exaggerate things that happen. Uh, another one is uh, have have uh, funny things around you, um, sayings that amuse you, like maybe never wrestle with, with a pig. You both get dirty and the pig likes it. <laughs> <laughs> I have my daughter when she was a teenager on my right in front of me, and she wanted to have a um, cream pie thrown in her face, and I did that when she was getting off the camp bus, and she's just like glowing with joy. So, you know have photos, particularly in difficult situations, photo of people that you recall that brought joy in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, bubbles are a great way. I love to have bubbles, things that make you laugh, um, one-frame cartoons I like. Um, and even in the death and dying situations, you know, I always collect that. And I found an um, ad in a, in a Wisconsin newspaper and it said, for sale, one used tombstone, splendid opportunity for family named Dingle. <laughs> <laughs> or a tombstone that said on it, see, I told you I was very... <laughs> uh, can you repeat that? See, I told you I was what? It said, see, I told you I was very sick. <laughs> <laughs> that has to have been written by a Jewish person. <laughs> Well, you know, you talk about Jewish uh, person, Jewish humor. One of the things, particularly the Hasidic, the one sect of of Judaism, they talked about um, finding joy even in the most difficult situations. So they talk about when your heart aches to sing and dance. Mm. Or they say things like, cancer schmancer, as long as I'm healthy. (laughs) <laughs> so they looked at consciously their life was so difficult they consciously looked for humor yeah well as you as you say humor will alleviate any situation not just the death and and, and dying situation is is there inappropriate humor especially when someone is grieving yes i think you don't see this is you don't like someone is sitting shiva or grieving, you may not go in with a battery of jokes. That may not help. That may make things worse. What you want to do is listen. What is the other person saying? You know, and the humor will always come out. And the thing that that I see when people are grieving is they they kind of squelch that laughter. So kind of listen, listen for that humor. You know, Viktor Frankl was in a concentration camp. And the last place, Miriam, I would think there'd be any humor. And yet he went in the corner of the prison every day with another prisoner and joked about the little crumb of bread they were having. Mm. Or no uniform wasn't fitting quite right or something. They made sure they found some bit of humor every single day. And he credits it within part in part with helping him survive the concentration camp because it said it gave him hope to meet this other person and laugh about something every day. It gave him hope to look forward to the next day. 
it's a very life-affirming thing to do. Yes, what that movie? What was it? Life is beautiful. Oh yes, yes. Remember, and he's in the he's in the concentration camp with his son, and he makes a game out of it to kind of shield that horror from his son, so yes. the son would think this is all a game. So you know what it shows me? You can take any situation and find the humor in it. Hmm. I got a speeding ticket last year, my first one in my in my whole life. And uh, I went to the gym, and I was singing. I was really happy. It was a Saturday morning, and I got to the gym, and I told the people that I just got a speeding ticket, and they said, "Aren't you depressed? Aren't you upset?" And I said, "You know, a little bit, but no." I said, first of all, I'm not going to let this ticket ruin my day. I was having a great day, and I'm not going to." Ruin that, so we always have that choice, our attitude. And then the second thing, I start laughing because I realize, in my late age now, I finally got the speeding ticket, so now I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> and I just burst out, or at least a teenager. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it's how we look at anything in life. We can look, we can go find the humor, or look for the humor, or the lighter side. Or we cannot. We could look at the awful side, and it's our choice. We always have that choice. So, do you use jokes a lot in your therapeutic humor, or is it more situational? I think it's situational. When you're in a situation, you know, you're in a traffic jam. What do you do? You can be depressed. You can be upset. You can curse the driver in front of you. Or you can lighten up. I blow bubbles out the window <laughs> in a traffic jam. Um, I will sing, you know, really loudly. Um, I will put on a clown nose and look in the mirror, rear view mirror, to, you know, to lighten up. I will do anything to change the situation and look for the lighter side. Mm-hmm. You do, do you really whip out your clown nose and... and- <laughs> Look at your fellow uh, commuters. Yeah, they start to laugh. So, I, in fact, one time I was at a um, bridge toll, and there was a really long line and this huge stretch limo. And the woman in the back seat was drinking champagne. So I was blowing bubbles out my window, and she rolled down her window and she said, "Oh, blow some bubbles my way." And I said, <laughs> "Kiddingly, I said." Throw some champagne my way. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you just play with the situation, and it's so amazing uh, what happens. Mm. But but the other thing is some people won't let go of their anger. I was on a plane. We were three hours late. Finally, the plane that we were loaded onto another plane. I went up to the flight attendant that was greeting people at the front, and I said, Here's a clown nose. Are you okay with putting that on as you greet people? And she did that, and I stood next to her. And some people saw that, and the stress on their face, they start laughing. The stress disappeared. Mm -hmm. Other people would, like, totally look away and, like, wrinkle their brow. And and, and you could just see it's like, I'm angry, and I'm not going to laugh. So it's it's up to, you know, it's up to people. How how are you going to live your life? You know, you can enjoy your life every moment. Or you're going to, like, really want to keep that anger going. I remember one woman in my workshop, um, <clears throat> she said, you know, I'm a parent. I can't joke around with my kids. And I said, what? And she said, well, I'm the authority figure. You know, and if I start joking, then what's go- things are going to get out of hand. And it seems so crazy to me because if you can joke with your kids, you know, they're going to respect you more. Hey, look. Mom or dad can lighten up with me. We could have a good time together. And you might be able to even discipline them more when that time comes. Mm, Very, very wise. So um, what are you working on now? Well, you know that um, I have a couple of more quotation books. I just wrote one for Mother's Day. It'll be out next year called Mom's The Word. Um, mom's the word. Okay. Mom's the word. Is it also full of humor, or is it more serious? It has some humor. It has stories about. It has a lot of humor, actually. Quotations, stories about mothers, uh, mothers' relationship with kids, with some are very funny. 
But um, the book that I'm working on came out of that traffic ticket because remember I said that um, the thing that came out of my mouth when people thought I should be upset, I said, you can't ruin my day. I wouldn't let the ticket ruin my day or the police officer. Mm -hmm. And so the next book is called, uh, I'm working on, is You Can't Ruin My Day. Oh. And it's 52 techniques that people could use one a week to to lighten their life, to get more um, enjoyment out of their life by taking back their power. Because people give their power away so easily to incidents on other people, um, to show different techniques of how they can take back their day, take back their power, and enjoy life to the fullest. So that's in a work in progress. It may take a couple of years, but <laughs> I never know. That's what will be coming out um, down the road somewhere. Well, that sounds like a really useful book because, as you say, um, people are very quick to take offense. And, and when you take offense or, or feel slighted, you're giving your power away. So if, if you can find some tricks to uh, let it roll off your back, not right. take it personally... Right. And you know, I discovered that I discovered that from one of the quotation books, uh, "Change Your Life" quote book. There was a quote in there uh, by Dale Carnegie about taking back your power. <clears throat> and I got this letter from a woman who said um, that she was raped violently when she was twice when she was a youngster, and she's now sixty-seven years old, and she never told anyone for fifty-five years. Mm -hmm. Imagine, Miriam, keeping that secret. And she said, I found this quote about by Dale Carnegie about taking back my power. She said, I put it all over my house, and it has totally changed my life. And this is the quote. She said, when we hate our enemies, we are giving them power over us, power over our sleep, our appetites, our blood pressure, our health, and our happiness. Our enemies would dance with joy if only they knew how they were worrying us and getting even with us. Our hate is not hurting them at all, but our hate is turning our days and nights into a hellish turmoil. Wow. Taking back your power, you know, to enjoy your life more, not giving your power away in any situation. Mm hmm or what people say, you have that choice, you have that attitude, well, how are you going to live your life? And so that's where joy, happiness, finding the laughter, finding the humor, uh, getting those props, those toys, those photos, those happy signs, anything that will help you lighten up uh, your day uh, will help you take back your power and not let a situation ruin your day or your life. Yeah, I'm reminded of, of what you said about this, this parent feeling that she had to be strict in order to um, be taken seriously by her child. I mean, we, we take ourselves so seriously. Do you have any tricks for how we lighten up and, and, and laugh at ourselves? Right, just fine thing. You know, the thing is everyone has a different sense of humor. They have funny bones in a different place. Some of us have a very lowest sense of humor. Find what will lighten you up, and it doesn't have to be fall-down laughter. You know, it could be something lighter. So a dentist in my workshop once said, you know, I'm a dentist, I can't do funny stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I said, could you wear funny underwear? <laughs> <laughs> and he started to laugh, and I said, get some, put it on, you'll be smiling and happier, and your patients won't even know why you're laughing or smiling. And he said, I'm going to go do that. So, you know, everyone's sense of humor is, is different, but there is some way that you could lighten up. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. So, um, do you have any workshops coming up? Do you, have, do you have workshops for the general public or primarily for hospice workers and professionals? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of general workshops. There's that one in East Lansing, Michigan, where the um, hospice is, you know, sponsoring it. Mm -hmm. So that's when I would do 
general workshops. I'm going to be speaking next year in the University of Oklahoma for one of the laughter classes. And yes, there are laughter classes. <laughs> <laughs> and no, then that seriously. Is, I'm doing, I'm doing yeah, a, tell us about the laughter class. Well, this one's called The Nature of Laughter. And uh, they just contacted me. It's a, I don't know, 10-week class. And they bring in people in the field, in the laughter field. Um, they're bringing in somebody who does humor in religion. Um, they're bringing myself about therapeutic humor. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to be teaching the class. I'm going to be interviewed, uh, like you're interviewing me now, to talk about the therapeutic value of humor. And then that night I will be doing a workshop, public workshop. I've heard of, uh, have you heard of laughter yoga? Oh, yes. In fact, I've taken that um, certification. I'm a certified laughter leader. Mm-hmm. So if we want to try it right now, Mary, why don't we try it? Just let's start laughing. So you don't need a joke, you don't need a situation, you don't need anything, you just start laughing. Uh-huh. And your body doesn't know the difference between the real laughter and the fake laughter. You're getting some of those uh, aerobic exercise benefits. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember seeing a video about this, and you had this whole stadium of, of hundreds, if not thousands, of people laughing away. Right, right. And, you know, it just sets those, those chemicals in your body, it just sets it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, even just smiling. We forget about smiling with other people. And there's research about smiling. You don't even have to laugh some days. And it, it's, it's good for the uh, immune system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it connects with other people. You don't even have to know their language. Uh, just smile with someone else. Yeah. Yeah, but just just look at them, just look at them. So I, I mean, so I remember uh, I think it was Neil Donald Walsh talking about people going through lives their lives with blinkers on, and you know they're not connecting eye to eye with anyone. You avoid eye contact, and it's like we're putting this shell around us. We, so so let's just break open the shell and smile and laugh. And, yeah, and I mean, look at, yay, Alan, I love what you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But look at people walking down the street on their cell phones or texting. No one's connecting face-to-face anymore. Yeah. And laughter, you know, is contagious. If you can laugh with someone or hear someone laughing, you start laughing usually. So we need to get that connection back because we are, we are really losing it. We are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing a YouTube video where somebody goes onto a, a crowded subway train and, and just starts laughing, and pretty soon yeah. everyone is laughing. Everyone is laughing. So that's what I teach people. Um, that's what I write about, you know, um, well, it's my mission. this is why I said my life is here. My wife is still here. Um, that's my mission in life to, to lighten up the world. Well, what a great mission it is too. So do you have a website, Alan? I do. It's www.alankline.com. And let me spell that because Alan and Klein can be spelled all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. It's, um, Excuse me, um, A-L-L-E-N-K-L-E-I-N.com, www.allenkline.com. And you know about the public workshops, if people want to email me, I can tell them where and when it will be in the cities when it happens. Mm-hmm. So my email is humor, H-U-M-O-R, at, and then again my name, Alan, A-L-L-E-N, K-L-E-I-N dot com. Okay, Alan, they say leave them laughing. So do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave with our listeners? <laughs> well, one is get a feather and put it on the <laughs> dashboard, tickle yourself, put it by your computer. Um, <laughs> it's a reminder to lighten up. 
have a sign on a mirror in your bathroom that says this person is not to be taken seriously. <laughs> and, you know, go find a wind-up toy and put it on your desk. I have Teletubby toys by my desk. Find something um, to lighten up. It will change your life. Mm. Wise words. Oh, well, thank you, Alan Klein, very much for being with us. Uh, thank we you. Have, <laughs> we've been speaking with Alan Klein, author of Learning to Laugh When You Feel Like Crying, website alankline.com, A-L-L-E-N-K-L-E-I-N.com. Alan, bless you. Goodbye. Thank you. Next week, our guest will be Jack Rourke, a very rational and objective psychic, talking about his book, The Rational Psychic. We're going to close the show now with our track of the week selected by Scott Johnson from among members of the Positive Music Association. Their music styles range from pop and rock to folk and jazz, but they all have positive messages designed to uplift, heal, or enlighten. This week we're featuring a song called Trail of Broken Dreams by David Pomerantz. We must show Oh,
by David Pomerantz. David is one of the most prolific songwriters and artists on the scene today. His songs and recordings have sold over 35 million copies worldwide, and his musical projects have earned a total of 18 gold and 22 platinum records. To find out more about David's music, go to official David. Pomerance.com and Pomerance is P O M E R A N Z.com. To discover more great music or to join the Positive Music Association, go to Positive Music Association.com. Well, if you enjoyed our show, why don't you join our free community of readers and authors at ncreview.com? Our website is a great resource for books and films that are inspirational and informative and a great place to connect with like-minded spirits. You know, you can now download our mobile app and listen to all the interviews from NCR Radio. You'll find the link on our website at ncreview.com, where you can also scan the QR code right to your iPhone or Android. As a bonus, the app has two other tabs for the latest books on the site and the latest videos. So, if you have any comments or suggestions, I would really love to hear from you. Just send me an email to miriam at ncreview.com, or you can leave a comment on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash ncreview. Well, that's our show for today, so until next week, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (music) 